Hello, I'm Matthew Frost, and welcome to another episode of Fully Scored, a podcast looking in-depth into the history, harmony and meaning of Salvation Army music. In today's episode, we're going to be continuing our analysis looking at the third movement of Easter Glory. But before we do that, let me introduce you to today's guest. Many of you will recognise the name of my next guest from the top right-hand corner of your music. But not only is he an excellent composer, but also was a member of the International Staff Band Solo Cornet Section for many years, and is the current bandmaster at the Regent Hall Salvation Army. It's my pleasure to welcome Paul Sharman to the podcast. Hi Matthew, good to be here. Welcome. So first of all, could you tell us a bit about your upbringing and where you grew up, and what led you to become a Salvationist musician? Well, I was born in Rotherham, um, in South Yorkshire. Um, my parents and my grandparents were members of the corps there. And um, I started playing the cornet at the age of five. My dad was a music teacher. He was also the core bandmaster. And he taught me from that from that age. And it's something I enjoyed doing. It's something I found relatively quickly that I was good at. And really just developed on from there. Um, when I was seven, we moved to Birmingham. Great city. It Great is. city. Yes. I don't recognise it anymore. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but we moved to Birmingham, Birmingham Citadel, where I joined the YP band um, and made my way up through through the YP band there, and eventually into the senior band when I was, was 15, 16. Thank you very much. And did you go on to study music? Yeah, so um, when I was at school, I started playing trumpet as well as the cornet and really enjoyed that side of it, playing in wind orchestras, symphony orchestras. When I was 18, I was um, awarded a scholarship to study trumpet at the Royal College of Music, which is, which is when I moved down to London. And we've found you here today in your natural habitats mm. at Territorial Headquarters. Can you tell us a bit about what you do here? So my role is as the Assistant Director for Music and Creative Arts, brackets, brass and choral. So, so the more traditional side um, of the Music and Salvation Army is what I am um, help to look after for the Territory. So I travel around the Territory leading rehearsals, but also in the team here helping with the uh, regional team that are out at the front line developing resources and strategies for how we go forward to, to build music and creative arts in the territory. A lot of um, event preparation. We have six events that we have to plan for throughout the year. Things like um, Territorial Youth Band, Territorial Youth Choir, Territorial Music School, Easter Music Course and the Symphony Sounds Weekend. So it's quite a busy, it's quite a busy role. Fantastic, thank you. And as I mentioned in your introduction, you were a solo cornet player in the International Staff Band for many years. Um, first of all, could you tell us when you joined and perhaps some of your highlights of your time in the band? Um, so I joined um, in June 1994. Just before I was born. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when Steve Cobb became the bandmaster, I took on the, um, the place in, on the front row of cornets that was left. So he always says I was his first signing. So yeah, I joined in 1994, and very soon after that, in September 95, we did a um, a tour of Australia, New Zealand, and Japan, which was a which was a highlight. It was the first time I'd been away for that for that sort of thing on a band trip like that. So that was a good highlight. And obvious highlights are ISB 120, which was just a great event to be a part of. I know some people think maybe it was better to actually be there to watch it, but actually being a participant in it was was a real experience and real privilege. The Boundless Congress was also a great, a great thing to be a part of, and sort of almost tying up the two ends of my career, as it were, in the ISB. The, the trip to Australia um, in 2015 was also a highlight. So amazing! Thank you. What a privilege to be able to take part in that. Um, so I also mentioned you're the bandmaster at the rink, 
Do you think that being a performer helps you to become the best bandmaster you can be? I think it can help, particularly for me in the experience I had when I was at college and when I was working as a, as a professional trumpet player, working in different styles of music and, and, and being exposed to that helps me to bring out what I want from the group in front of me. Um, and I, I think that that does help, and an understanding of what it, what it is to play, the the challenges that may be there may be for that. So, so it does help being a performer in front of the group, and that experience I think in particular is something that helps shape what I do. Fantastic. And do you think also being a composer helps you understand as well? Yeah, it, it does, and I think it also works the other way. I think. Um, standing in front of a group and knowing what works in front of a group actually helps me as a composer to know what I need to write and how that needs to work. So, so I think it does. I think it works both ways. Great. And let's go back to the very roots of your composing career. Okay. Can you remember what your first published piece was? I can. My first published piece was a march in the Unity series called Get Involved. Maybe we can get a little snippet oh, of that on here. Let's hope so. And get involved. <laughs> and the arranging was something I fell into really. I started having piano lessons when I was um, going to music college knowing that I'd have to study second study mm. and the lady that taught me piano was a lady who was a, a, a core officer down in Worthing, uh, Marion Parker and as lo- alongside the piano lessons she started teaching me about playing by ear and then leading on from that to composing songs and I, I wrote a couple of sing company songs with, with her there and that that sort of developed my enjoyment for that. I then used to write trios for m- myself, my brother and my dad to play, nice. um, which was nice, yeah. Didn't really take off. <laughs> Cornet and two trombones. But um, So those little arrangements there, so it was a bit of fun. And Then I was at music college and started arranging for, for quintets and ten pieces. Um, when I became YP band leader at the rink, I started writing for the YP band, and then I wrote the march. That's when I wrote Get Involved for them. That then became published, and, and seeing that that was being used was um, was was good, and it pushed me into doing more. And I, I did quite a few Unity series pieces at that time. Um, one of those was a piece called Righteousness, Peace, and Joy. Oh, it's Ca- an absolute cracker! It is catchy, Jay. Jay. And um, Steve Cobb, who was doing the Unity series recording, conducting it, liked it, and started using that on ISB programs. I thought, oh, ISB are using my stuff. That's good. So then I started writing more that they could possibly use, mm. and it developed from there. Really, it's. I'd never had any formal training in it. Now, latterly, studied with Peter Graham at Salford for an MPhil in composition, which has really helped and, mm. and moved me on. But it, yeah, it was almost it was a self-taught thing for composition, just because I enjoyed doing it. And it was another, just something else to do musically, really. Fantastic. And what's your approach when it comes to composing? How do you develop an idea? Do you start with a tune? Do you start with a sequence of chords? Or what's what's your approach? different ways, really? Writing Peace and Joy, for example, I actually started off playing around with the percussion sounds on Sibelius okay. uh, and sort of the rhythms and how, how could that work and that develop, how could I use that in a piece. Um, sometimes I'll hear a song um, in a meeting and think, oh, that could work with an arrangement. Sometimes it's a theme. 
sometimes it's a subject with a story that I can use and, and start then thinking what tunes can I use in that, what motifs can I take from the tunes to use as as original material. So so it can be different it can be different ways. Fantastic. And have you got any advice for aspiring young composers? I think for for young composers often everyone wants to write the next big piece. And I think looking at or listening to a hymn tune and thinking, how can I do an arrangement of that? What what can I use to make this into a good arrangement for five parts? And building it from there, I think listening to a lot of music, a lot of different styles of music is, is, is a good thing to do. And to also look at scores to see how other people, other people do it. Mm, thank you very much. Now, tricky question. Okay. Have you got a favourite Salvation Army composer? Um... I don't know if I've got a favourite composer, really. I like a lot of different styles, Salvation Army-wise. I like Peter Graham's work, but looking back, Ray Stemmen Allen's pieces are pieces that really speak to me, too. So I think those two would be the top of my of my list, probably. And thinking outside the Salvation Army, have you got any favourite secular um, yeah, composers? again, a number, really. I love Mahler symphonies. Hmm. Um, have you got a favourite? Five has to be nice, nice. not to but play, but, <laughs> but yeah, and I think a lot of my favourites are probably coloured by my time as a trumpet player because you know you got Mahler, I enjoy Stravinsky, mm-hmm. um, the way he uses rhythms and the way he uses different harmonies, Tchaikovsky because it's so tuny, um, and you know, and again as a trumpet player, good to play, absolutely, and and you know, latterly listening to more film music, you know, with John Williams and, and that sort of thing, so. So, yeah, a number, of, a number of composers there as well. Thank you. Now, many shaman scholars will agree that Section K, in purpose, was the original shaman dirty bass line. <laughs> Let's have a quick listen to that. your inspiration behind this i don't I, yeah this has become a big thing this <laughs> dirty baseline thing um and it's contrary to popular belief it's not from my clubbing days <laughs> but no i just wanted something that was contemporary upbeat and engaging and just came with that and i think it became a thing and i think i've tried to do it in other things not quite as successfully as, as purpose. <laughs> um and which of your compositions are you most proud of if i have to name one i think it will be everlasting hope because of the subject material that, that are used in it, it was written as a tribute to Graham Lamplough, who was a, a big inspiration to me at a, an important time in my life. So it has that that as well. But the way I tried to use it, I tried to do a little bit more, use a little bit more original material instead of just doing a straight hymn tune setting. And, and that seems to really speak to people. I think some of my larger works I'm proud of in the right way because you know they're a little bit more extended and I can show a little bit more of self in that. But... But yeah, if it was one, it would be Everlasting Hope. Okay, really wonderful piece. Now, talking about Graham Lampler, I've got a question from Gavin Lampler oh, here. He's sent in, <laughs> and he asks, um, did you ever find that note that went missing in the Go Down Moses Cornet Soda at <laughs> West Midlands Divisional School circa 1989? No, <laughs> that's never been found. Never. That F sharp is a real... <laughs> I've, I've kept away from that piece for a long time. <laughs> but I did it at an Easter Music course with the band there, and that was the first time. And yeah, that F sharp, that's called it solo in the middle of Go Down Moses. And 
Yeah, there's a. I've got a tape recording of it. If anybody's interested, <laughs> maybe we can get it on the <laughs> podcast again. Uh, you did go on to say what an inspiration you were to him as well. I think he was just flirting, but but there we go. So now for some quick fire questions. Favorite okay. march. One by one. Favorite tube station. Oxford Circus. Favorite CD or LP of all time. One CD I always come back to is a, is a Canadian stuff band CD called Sounds of Joy. Mm. It has a number of tracks on there that really I enjoyed at the time. I think Three King Swings on there, In His Joyful Service, which you don't hear much of now, Prince Thorpe, Jubilance for Cornet and Band. So that was one that I always listened to a lot at that time and, and sort of still stands out to me as a, a good programme CD. Thank you. Have you got a favourite sport? My favourite sport is probably cricket. I okay. enjoy, enjoy watching. I used to play a little bit at school, but now I just go and watch my kids play or, or go and watch. Yeah. Um, Dolce or Gabbana? Dolce. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> Incorrect. Um, <laughs> tea or coffee? Tea. Uh, Favourite sauce? Tomato ketchup. Okay. Standard. It's very yeah, standard. Yeah. Um, what's the strangest meat you've ever eaten? Reindeer. Ooh. Yeah. Reindeer. How, how festive. Yes, it was. Yeah. Poor Rudolph. Little bits of red nose in there as well. <laughs> it just wasn't cooked <laughs> properly. Um, tricky one, this. Who's your favourite trombonist in the Birmingham Citadel band? Going to phone a friend on it. <laughs> <laughs> we should explain that Paul's father and brother are in the band. Um, now, I have another question sent in from another staff band member. Who would win in an arm wrestle between you and your brother Mark? That is from Jonathan Evans. I reckon Mark would win that one. Okay, we'll more. put it to the test perhaps if Maybe, we do yeah, a, be, yeah. a televised version. <laughs> uh, worst airline? Worst airline? Um, Ryanair, mm. I think. I've only been twice once on an outward and then an and inward <laughs> journey. Just like, to make sure. a job, thorough <laughs> job. It really was. What's your favourite Bible translation? I like the message. I think it, it gives a good understanding of things that maybe weren't quite as clear for me in, in, in older translations. Thank you. Um, and what's your favourite verse of scripture? It's Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Thank you Paul for your time in answering those questions and if you stick around we'll be quizzing you later in Band Mastermind. So, Andrew, welcome back. We're here again in the ISB band room. Can't believe it's the third episode already. Um, and we're on the third day of mm. Easter Glory. Uh, once again, to our listeners, if you haven't heard the first two episodes, uh, we really would recommend you listen to those first, chronologically. Um, you don't have to. You can ignore that advice. But uh, we'd recommend it anyway. So, we're looking at the third day now of Easter Glory. And we've just heard a snippet there from the symbol bursting forth the fanfare figure in the cornets and some really jumpy bass line what's the music talking about here please well Matthew we, we talked about uh, Les using narratives from scripture and, and for me this, this third movement really kind of speaks of the narrative from the two Marys that went to the tomb uh, Mary Magdalene 
and the other Mary, which could be the Gospel Matthew's mother. There's not uh, security about that. But if we look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. This has the feeling of insecurity uh, right through this. Um, you notice that we talked about that baseline. Great little reference from, from this. Christ the Lord is risen today. That's the little reference there in the, in the baseline there. But, but there's this kind of insecurity. Everything's kicking off here. Um, not easy to play. No. Not easy to play and to, to knit together here. But it gives the feeling of, for me, a little bit of an earthquake. You know, the, the ground's rumbling. We, we just don't know what's going on. We're running to tell the disciples of this amazing news. These two, uh, these two women who, who, you know, were there at Jesus' feet when he was crucified and were going to, uh, to tend to his tomb. And so the uncertainty here is very much in the scoring You'll notice at bar nine, the Slintando bar, I often think they're, they're probably thinking, as it, as it kind of pulls back, are we sure? And then we've got that uncertainty in the bar after that. Nothing playing at all exactly. on the first beat there really rocks us. Yeah. You know, you kind of, the two of you, you know, if, if you and I had seen something quite unbelievable, there's a moment where you, the both of us would just be kind of quiet and looking at each other. Do we say anything? Yeah. Oh, is that right? And a then there's a little really pause. Exactly, you know, that kind of thing. You know, there's a pause, isn't there? The, the miracles. Yes. Uh, can't be. Totally. Can't be, can it? Yeah, so there's that moment of it. So suddenly Les puts very cleverly, um, rests are so much part of music. Mm. They, are, they are an integral part of music. I think it was Leopold Stokowski that said, a painter paints pictures on canvas, but musicians paint their pictures on silence. Yeah. Sounds very clever, doesn't it? Very clever and, and, and absolutely bang on right here. Mm. And and from that moment from the Slentando bar of the are you sure, these two women are kind of can't be. Is it? You know, and there's these pauses in their conversation and and the, and, and this moment on the pause bar where it leaves us open to thinking could be. So there's a number of questions before A. Um, about four bars before A that are fantastically open to this could be happening, <laughs> which is brilliant. So we've got to section A now. Let's have a listen to that. can hear there again a very similar idea to the beginning of the piece but this time the bum 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 ba dum bum bum that sort of uncertainty in the reference there to the Easter hymn this time in the cornets what happens here well I think this is again taken from scripture but from a different perspective so the musical argument is the same from the beginning but scored differently yeah Um, so if you look at verse 11 um, of that same chapter in Matthew um, while the women were on the way, the guards went and told the chief priests. So they're saying the same message. The tomb is, is empty. What's happening? So they're saying the same thing, obviously in a different way. And the chief priests are very angry about this and very confused. And there's some of them saying, has, has he risen? So it's, it's the same kind of narrative, but in two different situations. The ladies are telling the disciples chief priests being told by the Roman guards very clever I think two aspects of the same narrative but but in different instrumentations and a different kind of story that would have been told to them 
Absolutely. So moving on to section B. What happens here in the music? We have the first sort of proper hint of the Easter hymn in the third bar. Again, not the whole tune, but leading towards that. What's the story going for? Well, yeah, um, what you've missed out, Matthew... Oh, sorry. ...is actually the fragment of the tune is at B, straight on B. So if you listen to that and you slow that down... da da dee da uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah? Absolutely. So he starts that hallelujah straight away with a different rhythmic pattern but within the uh, baritones and euphoniums, and then this momentum. Surely not Christ the Lord is risen. And what you notice here, and I believe this to be true, this story, but back in the 60s and 70s when I was a kid growing up, the news used to not have the kind of flashy news um, tunes that it has now to introduce the the, uh, television news. It was very much a... Here is the news. Ah, which so, is ostinato figure yeah, that we have introduced exactly in the horns. In the horns. The very, very clever. Very so, clever so Les is you, and it comes later on. Mm. Um, so Les is kind of using a 20th century model to convey the news of Christ the Lord is risen today. Fascinating. At section C, we then have this expressive tune here. Section C is interesting because when you look at Les Condon's score notes to Easter Glory, he doesn't mention anything in the score about Section C, um, which I find fascinating because the music kind of goes from this this very kind of, exp- it says expressive con moto, it's got a smoother feel to it. And for me, it talks about the assurance of Christ's promise that he would be risen. So in John 20, verse 19, Jesus appears to his disciples in the upper room and he says, peace be with you. And I think at this point, this is the assurance of Christ saying, I will bring you peace. I will bring you hope. And I I can only see that as a very calming influence of Christ. You know, when all around is, is earthquake, is storm, is running around, is chief priests getting angry, his Roman guards getting told off for losing um, the body, for the disciples not knowing what's going on, the peace of Jesus comes in. And here we have this just beautiful, lovely section, which is completely, you know, kind of a calming influence on everything here. That's the only thing that I would convey in, in looking at the score here, because Les, unfortunately, doesn't give us anything uh, to go by of his own thoughts here. But that's how I would see it. So once again, a few bars before letter D, we have this reference to the Easter hymn, leading us in to figure D, which again is the uh, same music from the first movement. Yeah, I I find uh, the fourth bar before D, that that Christ the Lord is risen today reference, very difficult as a bandmaster to bring out uh, within that score. Very low um, scoring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is low scoring. And, and um, you know, I know that the horns have all got that. But, you know, that that's quite quite difficult with the trombones uh, within their range and the baritones within their range. So that's always a challenge mm. um, to, tr- to try and bring out, that's, that's for sure. 
Um, but we have this kind of building motif um, of the peace of Christ and then the re- recapitulation of the victory motif, mm. where I think um, there's a realisation here from the disciples as well as the assurance of Jesus. So, you know, you read in John 20, um, verse 28, Thomas saying, my Lord, and my God. You know, this realisation, the risen Christ, the victory motif, it's happening this is amazing and and for me this this is just the victory motif is fantastic in the first movement the third movement is just unbelievable and uh, very powerful indeed and i love also musically on that second quaver beat we've got complete silence yes. so it almost gives that reassurance you yep. see yes he is yeah. sort of the music breathes and exactly. tells the story wonderful exactly. writing it's wonderful writing section E we have the Easter hymn here fully introduced uh, with some really nice harmony but quite empty scoring again we've just got the trombones and the cornets so symphonic instruments what's happening here yeah the, that's the first point the second point is the marking of it which is piano hmm. now you've just had a victory motif you've, you've said my lord my god you've seen the risen Christ Many of us will be going and sell out and celebrating, you know. Um, a lot of composers may have gone for the full works here. You know, um, mo- a lot of modern composers would have probably put it in half-time with a lot of percussion <laughs> underneath and uh, a lot of scaly passages and all this Maybe kind of thing. Well, you know, <laughs> probably in these days. Um, but Les goes for a piano bare score. Mm. And, and I think the best way, Matthew, is to probably go back to, to see the score notes and what the composer himself says, who says, at this point, truth often makes its impact in moments of quietness, and in this quiet but noble and sustained version of the tune, it is as if a golden twinge of dawn has silently come following the black night of despair and bewilderment. So Les sees silence and quietness um, very much quietness as as a very strong thing here and and it is it, it, the noblemente very noble and sustained feeling of majesty appears here without having to be loud and brash and do you think the disciples at this time would still be almost fearful of celebrating jesus has come again fear of persecution after they've seen what's happened to him do you think perhaps this subdued treatment of the verse is reflecting that almost tentativeness of them to celebrate well i think it is very much an upper room experience so it's it's a behind locked doors moment that i take it from so i'm taking the narrative from that that later part of of john's gospel there Mm. where they are in the upper room and i do think at this point it's very much a kneel down but within a you're right within a confined atmosphere recognizing the the risen christ certainly um 
yeah, I, I do think it's very contained in that respect. Mm. And you've got these really loud symphonic instruments capable of blowing the roof off a, yeah. off a building, but yeah. yet they're so contained. And I think that perhaps yeah. it, the, the disciples have got this mind-blowing news that Jesus yeah. is resurrected from the dead. Yeah. But again, they're restraining it and keeping it to yeah. themselves. Some nice word painting there, I think. Yeah, there is. Uh, letter F we have a slightly more reassured sound where the horns, baritones and tubas enter once again. Could you talk us through the narrative here, please? Well, I think the same. it's the same kind of narrative. It's the disciples talking to each other here in gentle, hushed, hushed tones, but in reverent tones as they, as they witness the, the risen Christ. But I do think that as we get through to, to G, then the excitement kicks in. And the reassurance that they could go out into the world and, and be more confident because they've seen and believed this story to be true. So we get to section G and we get to this kind of very excited motif which comes in at the beginning there. Um, this is true. There is a risen Christ. Um, John 21 verse 29, Jesus says, Believe because you have seen me. So they get it. They've seen him. And now they start to get, you know, hallelujah comes in. If you look at um, the third bar of G, the accelerando there, hallelujah, 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 in in a different derivative there. And it builds, that little hallelujah motif builds right through to H. And then we get the news. Again, that news little reference. Here is the news. Absolutely. And quite an unusual treatment at I yeah. of the Easter hymn, usually in... Four four meter, yep. but we're in three four meter here, yep. which gives it this real hemiolic effect yep. with the four beats crossing across yep. three beats yep. and giving it an almost uneasy feel here, as if it should be in yep. two or four, yep. but crossing a, the bar line. Yeah, well, I think I think this very much because it elongates the tune, is enjoying this moment. It's a great tune. It's a great, great tune, and 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 Les doesn't throw it away as such. No. He extends it. As though to say, this is happening. This is going. This is going out there, and and through all the disciples witnessing and proclaiming of this message, you and I can talk about it uh, in this day and age. And so he wants to enjoy the moment, along with this kind of very kind of news rhythmic theme that's going through there. Um, so th- there is a sustained feel about it. Um, don't throw this tune away. Don't throw this promise away. Christ the Lord is risen today. And for me, the repeated cornet ostinato that you mentioned, that sort of news yep. news figure, um, along with a snare drum, it almost reminds me of film music, that drive that's going through. What sort of influence do you think film music had on Salvation Army music at uh, this time? Do you think there is a correlation there? Completely. I think that if we felt that people like Les Condon, Ray Stemmel and Dean Goffin, all those composers... Um, sat and just viewed Salvation Army as their only base of musical source of, of inspiration is completely untrue. People like Les and Ray um, would, would would see different things, sense different things, and would be influenced by different things. And film music was a big influence. They would sit in the editorial department with records and listen to uh, to all the latest kind of film music, be very influenced by that all. Pop out at lunchtime and go and see a film, maybe? Well, they used to pop out at <laughs> lunchtime and go to concerts and, and, and in the evenings go to 
jazz concert. We're not supposed to say that. Uh, Ray, Ray would say we'd get in, in trouble. He didn't go in uniform, obviously. But And, of course, that was very restricted in those mm. days. Robert Redhead used to go to a lot of Ronnie Scott's stuff and the editorial department did back in the day. So they were influenced, and certainly Les would have been influenced by film music. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, yeah, you can see a correlation in that. And even if we look towards today, we have many film composers like Bruce Broughton writing music for the Salvation Army. Perhaps he learned his craft in the Salvation Army and has applied that to film music. So there is a real direct correlation. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. And and certainly from our younger composers, mm. they are influenced very much by the, um, the film music of Zimmer and Williams these days. Um, mm. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, it... it Film music engages this even more so society. Um, and so if we can try and connect with that, um, then that helps us as a church, I suppose. I think one could argue perhaps that's where classical music is going now into films. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most uh, often place people will hear symphonic schools. Yeah. Um, not as many people perhaps yeah. go to concerts. So no. that is their main interaction. And of course, nowadays, you know, we're popular with the LSO and all that, doing Star Wars mm. concerts and Hans Zimmer concerts, Absolutely. and and so that that I think also the mainstream orchestras have, have recognised that that is where the the crowds are, and so for us as Salvationist composers to connect within that way in that genre, I think is very important. Although I do think Les and Ray saw that potential back in the sixties, and and certainly Dean before that as well. So. And I suppose film music tells a story. This yes. music is telling a story, yeah. perhaps one of the greatest ever told. Yeah, exactly. The greatest ever told, Matthew. Absolutely. At the end of this section, we're back into 4-4, and we've got the huge great symphonic chords mm. really pounding out that Easter mm. message here. Can you tell us a bit about the harmony here? What does Les do harmonically? Well, he, he, he keeps very much to standard harmony of, of the tune. Easter hymn, nothing really. Um, when I say remarkable, it's it's great harmony, it's strong harmony. It's it's the change of rhythm that's the strength. Mm. Back into four four, you know, it's that hallelujah. Um, so harmonically, it doesn't speak of anything different. Rhythmically, it says it all because as you as you quite rightly said, it goes straight into a four. It's very strong. What is interesting to notice that the Raubauer, look at the key instruments that have got this run up to. In, into a kind of really kind of hopeful moment. It's the basses in euphonium. And of course, Les was an E-flat bass player. And Just so the great moment there is left to the euphoniums and basses. And uh, as one conductor I once worked with uh, might have said, that has the potential to sound like an accident in the bathtub if it doesn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> accident in the bathtub. I like that. Very good. Yeah. Let's have a listen to Section J. K, our final stretch of the music, and we have this maestoso treatment once again of the tune. Um, what happens here to finish the piece? I think it's complete recap of everything. Um, it kind of ties it all together. He's, he's tying his laces up here and putting a 
double bow in it, really. For security. And, yeah, for security. Yeah. And um, what I like about K, if you look at the third bar of K, the trombones, again, are in octaves. And, and I'd like to think that at this point, as the disciples have proclaimed the risen Christ, some of those guards that went to the chief priests that saw the empty tomb, that we heard right at the beginning of the first movement, where they are in octaves. Do you remember I told mm. that the guards were keeping order? Absolutely. The guards are believing at this point. The guards believe of the risen Christ. So he uses these octaves cleverly again that have come right through the, 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 the piece, but actually in a very positive way. The Roman guards now believe and become um, part of the Christian faith. And so um, we've got this whole recapitulation of certain little themes. Christ the Lord is risen today comes in there. Um, the third movement, the little news break in the trombones as well. Uh, the bar before the molto allegro. Everything is brought together so remarkably well. Very clever. You know, this is what makes composers like Les Condon just fantastic because they, they have their themes that all intertwine with each other. You know, first, second, third movement, they're all within this, this last thing. It's, it's tying the story up. And then we have this, uh, this whole material recap until we get to the end. The end is an interesting thing for me. I'd love to know why Les goes to a low chord there. Um, so we have this, you know, pop up. And it's quite mm, low. It really is. Well, it is low. It's not quite low. It's low. I, I have no idea. I can't ex explain that as such because perhaps it's just an assurance and a security, mm. a, a kind of anchor on which we we uh, we build our Christian faith on the risen Christ. I'm not going to uh, complain about that low chord um, because it brings together what is a truly fabulous piece. So we're not going to expect Easter glory variations by Andrew Blythe anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> no, you know, it, 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 this is one of those, for me, that is perfect mm. as a piece. It's wonderful music. Perfect as a piece of music. I wouldn't change a thing with Easter glory. Um, suffice to say, I would only just continue to learn from it. The narrative particularly but also what the music can bring through that narrative is is truly remarkable, truly wonderful. And uh, Leslie Condon, um, for all his marvellous pieces, inspires me every time that I play or conduct this, this piece of music. Amazing legacy mm. to leave. Yes. And I think also it just adds to that inspiration, doesn't it? Obviously, musically, mm. it's a fantastic piece, but to have that narrative and that story in there so clear... Yeah. Incredible, it is incredible. So one of my absolute favourite recordings of Easter Glory was the old LP, 1971, Fine City Brass, by Norwich Citadel Band, conducted by Jack Gibson. I'm very biased. Uh, my grandfather was the deputy bandmaster and percussionist on the recording, so, you know, there's a little bit of a personal taste there. So I would say that was perhaps one of my favourite recordings. Have you got a favourite recording of this piece? I have. 
I, interesting you say that about um, Norwich Citadel and Jack Gibson and, and, your, and your grandfather, because I do think that this kind of music relates to people that you knew, um, Salvation Army bandsmen, that would have played this music and their influence on your life. And so you would hope that your grandfather had that experience when he was playing Easter Glory. And as you see him as a man, you reflect on that, and that influences you in your musical choice, I think. I think that to be Absolutely. true. Um, so for me, it would be uh, Enfield Citadel Band's recording of it on the Milestone recording, which Bandmaster James Williams takes, um, someone that I admired and would understand that he would delve right into that and read that that scripture narrative and get that. So f- for me, as I've been influenced through Jim, through Jim's uh, life, um, I could see that as he conveys that through the recording of Enfield's. I do like Norwich's recording. I have heard it, and and as you would expect from Bandmaster Gibson, it's a it's a fine recording. Uh, but for me, it's the Enfield one, Matthew. Absolutely, and there are some more modern recordings yes. as well. Only a few years ago, the New York Staff Band recorded. I think the CD was Easter Glory, wasn't yep. it? And poignantly, Croydon Citadel mm. uh, with Ian Parkhouse have recorded that as well uh, recently. Mm. Uh, so there have been some recordings of recent nature of this truly iconic piece. And I think we should mention that the recording that we've used throughout this podcast is the Enfield recording. Great. Thank you very much, Andrew. Now we move on to our final segment of the podcast, Band Mastermind. We have Paul Sharman here joining us on a scale of one to ten. How nervous are you? Three. Three? <laughs> okay. Well, feeling pretty confident. <laughs> we'll we'll put that Three's to the low. test. <laughs> okay. Um, as always, you've got exactly the time it takes the ISB to play Jubilee with a few convenient repeats taken out, so it lasts exactly one minute thirty. Paul Sharman, are you ready to play Band Mastermind? I'm ready. Your minute and a half starts now. Who is the current bandmaster of the Household Troops Band? Carl Saunders. Which UK band was the first Salvation Army band to tour to South Africa in 1993? Uh, Norwich. Correct. What piece did Chalk Farm choose to play at the Brass International Festival for the 1990 Congress? Song of the Eternal. Incorrect. Which is the oldest staff band worldwide? New York. Correct. What piece did the ISB feature in the 1966 Bandmasters Councils that didn't make it onto the recording? Don't know. Which country is widely regarded as being responsible for the invention of the piston valve? Germany. Incorrect. In his earlier life, what was Ray Stedman Allen's pseudonym when he was writing songs for outside of the Salvation Army? Don't know. Pass. Which former ISB bandmaster played tenor saxophone in the Upper Norwood Salvation Army Band? Bernard Adams. Correct. What was the original scoring for Leslie Condon's festivity? Two cornets, three trombones. Correct. For a further point, could you name one of the players on the original premiere? Roland Cobb. Correct. Which two core bands are the only two from the UK to have toured Australia? Chalk Farm and... Uh... 
I don't know. Incorrect. We'll move on. Can you name a former Premier League footballer who is currently a member of the Manchester United coaching staff? Time is up, but I'll continue with the question. Who is currently a member of the coaching staff at Manchester United who was once a junior soldier and a member of the YP band? Michael Carrick. Correct. Thank you, Paul. A really, really good effort there. Some very tricky questions. Um, the ones that you didn't quite get, the piece that Chalk Farm chose to play at the Brass International Festival in the 1990 Congress was Song of Courage. The piece that didn't make it onto the LP from 1966 at the Bandmasters Councils was Resurgum. Uh, France is widely regarded as being responsible for the okay. invention of the pistol valve, Stotzel and Blumel. Um and... The pseudonym that Ray Stenman Allen wrote under was Len Rail. Oh, well. Almost. Almost the name. Very, very clever. Uh, the two bands that, from the UK that are the only ones to tour Australia are Chalk Farm, which you did say correct. The other one was Enfield. Uh, of course. You got one of the bands for that, so we're going to be really nice today and give you half a point. So that means you got seven and a half correct. Okay. So just trailing behind Andrew Blythe there, but beating Steve. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much to Paul Sharman for your time and coming and joining us today. Thank you. Thanks also to our producer, Simon Gash, for his work editing out all the bad bits where we were completely rubbish, organising guests and generally just keeping us in check. Thank you also to the team of band nerds who helped come up with the band mastermind trivia. And last but not least, thank you to you, the listener, because without you listening, you wouldn't be called the listener. Goodbye and God bless. (laughs) 